before I get started, I, I neglected to mention earlier that we are having officer nominations this month, and we're going to extend that one week to next week uh, because we got a late start. If you need a form, they're out in, on the table in the foyer. If you're a church member and want to make a nomination for the uh, a man to serve as uh, a ruling elder or deacon, there's also an online form on our website. We are going to look at Romans 5 this morning, verses 1 and 2. Uh, next week and Easter will be in Revelation chapter 1, and then we'll return to our Ecclesiastes uh, series. But I want to talk about the practical blessings of our salvation. We sometimes use the word justification, which is a theological term, but one that we find in Scripture, the idea of being justified before God, being made right with God, which we cannot do on our own. It has to be accomplished through Christ and our faith in him. And so we're just going to look at these first two verses of Romans 5. This is the first therefore in Romans. There's three great therefores in Romans. This one, then Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in Romans 12, therefore give your, and I'm paraphrasing, yourselves as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy. But this is the first one, and we hear, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that our salvation means something. It's not just a, uh, something we look forward to or hope for. It's something that we experience right now. And I pray, Lord, by your word and your spirit, we would be able to have a sense of that this morning. Lord, do your will here and help us to see that through your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine a little boy, a real little boy, with cerebral palsy, living in an orphanage in Iraq. His name's Allah, and Captain Scott Southworth, who serves in our, served in our uh, armed forces, was on a tour a 14-month tour uh, with his uh, National Guard unit in Iraq when they began visiting an orphanage. And this little boy with cerebral palsy had been found on the streets of Baghdad and brought to this orphanage run by nuns associated with Mother Teresa. And they began to visit on a regular basis. And at the time, Captain Scott Southworth uh, was single he, had ser he served as a lawyer, is a lawyer, and uh, had a very busy life. But this boy kept coming near to him. He couldn't walk. He would drag himself to his side. And his heart began to change. He began to be shaped. This little boy could be considered, you know, on many accounts, an enemy. He, could be, he certainly was an orphan. 
and he was a beggar. In fact, he was going to have to leave that orphanage to uh, go to another place that would have less resources for him. So Captain Southworth decided that he would adopt this boy, which actually was not possible because of the laws in Iraq did not allow for foreign adoptions. And yet, he made it happen. He said, we crossed political boundaries. We crossed religious boundaries. There was just a massive effort all on behalf of this little boy who desperately needed people to actually take some action and not just feel sorry for him. Indeed, he was brought to the United States on a visa and he actually became a citizen of the United States when he turned 16. And on our own, we could be considered enemies of God, orphans without a father in heaven, and beggars in this world too. We may not look like it, we may not feel like it, but apart from Christ, that's where we are. In Romans 3, we hear the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe has come. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We receive this gift of God, this justification as we believe and throw ourselves upon God and the gift that he gives to us in Christ. And these words are for those who are enemies and are former enemies of God. They are words to orphans without a heavenly father and those who have been adopted in his grace. And they are words to beggars in this world and those who also know true hope. So my theme is a question, and I want to show you the answer to that question. What are the benefits of justification? If you are in Christ, justified by faith in Him, what does it mean for you? Well, by our justification, we are no longer enemies. We are no longer orphans. We are no longer beggars. So let's start with enemies. I've shared this before, but over the course, someone counted this up. I haven't done it, but 4,000 years of human history, there's only been about 270 years of peace. That is that there's not been some sort of conflict going on in this world. This year certainly doesn't count, does it? Last year doesn't count. There's always war and rumors of it. And there's a constant searching for peace, but sin puts us in opposition to God. Now, few of us would ever feel, really feel like we are at war with God. Maybe we haven't raised our fist at Him, thumbed our nose, but we've certainly turned the other way. You might think ignorance is bliss, but there's a danger. If you're an enemy of God, you're in danger of His wrath. But not only that, as we hear from Augustine in 
sometimes share, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. That's an aspect of peace or shalom with God as well. Not just being his enemy, but being at rest in him. And the gospel declares that because of what Jesus has done, you are at peace with God. Look at the verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith. All right, so here's the first benefit. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer his enemy. Look down at verse 10 if you have your Bibles open. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In Colossians 1, 20 through 22, and through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? What's the peace treaty? How is it ratified? By the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Meaning your peace with God is secure. Christ is the peace treaty and he has ratified it by his blood. You ever had a car break down on you? If you drive long enough, You'll have a car break down. But raise your hand if you've had a car break down on you at the drive through window at Chick-fil-A while you're waiting for the manna from heaven to come down. Nobody else? I'm sitting there. I'm at the window. And the car breaks down. Now, not only, you know how efficient they are. And I'm the problem. I'm holding up everybody else. And I remember they sent somebody out, somebody who it was their pleasure to push my car out of the way. And so I'm sitting in a parking spot with my broken down car eating my chicken sandwich. And the thought goes through my head. Literally, the thought goes through my head. Why does God hate me? That's how I felt in that moment. Because I have a tendency to take my circumstances and view them through the view God's love through the lens of my circumstance. If my car's running great, God must love me. And if it breaks down in the Chick-fil-A drive through line, he must hate me. But that's not how it works. And that's not the truth, and it's not what God declares to you. Does God hate you? No, he doesn't, because Christ has come. Do you know real peace? Life can become an endless quest to try to quiet the discord with God that ravages our souls. But if we know Christ, then we can know an everlasting peace. Does it mean we won't have moments where we have those questions? No, you'll have them. I hope that never happens to you. But if you're honest, those things will come up. But then we tell ourselves the truth and we tell one another the truth. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we no longer enemies, we're no longer orphans. Look at the first part of verse 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now on your own, you could not stand in God's promise a presence. I tell you that repeatedly. Psalm 130 verse 3. Lord, if you were to mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? That is, if God were going to put up the record of your sinfulness before you, you would not stand with any sort of bravado. You would shrink back in shame. But that's not where we are. We're not on our own. And we can stand in His presence. We have access by faith, it says. That's the act of bringing to or moving to it means providing admission or access with the, uh, there's a, an additional thought. As the one who's gaining access has freedom to enter by virtue of the assistance or favor of another. What does that mean? That means Jesus is escorting you into the presence of God. You have access to him. You can address God with your fears. You can approach God with your circumstances. John Stott says justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. Our relationship with God into which justification has brought us is not sporadic but continuous. Not precarious but secure. We do not fall in and out of grace like courtiers who may find themselves in and out of favor with their sovereign or politicians with the public. No, we stand in it, for that is the nature of grace. I love that. I need that reminder. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace because you've been adopted if you are in Christ through faith, adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And yet, do you act like it? Do you act like you are a child of the King of Kings? All too often, I act like a functional orphan. Someone who has maybe a distant father who has more important things to do. I read this yesterday in late 2019. It's the beginning of a, it was a forward to a book. Barna, that's a research group, launched a global study of millennials and Gen Zers. And they conducted more than 15,000 surveys over 25 countries. And one of the central aspects of the experience of young adults around the world is anxiety. They titled their first section of their report, Life in the Anxious Age. Despite being more connected than any other generations in history, young adults admitted to struggling with anxiety. This took many forms from anxiousness, anxiousness about important decisions, feeling pressure to succeed, experiencing uncertainty, loneliness, or mental health issues, and so on. And that was all before the pandemic. What do you think those surveys are showing now? And they are far from alone. Those generations are far from alone. 
The reasons might differ, but we are all collectively dealing with anxiety. Worry about the future, fear about various things, uncertainty, loneliness. But then scripture says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Hebrews 4.16 And humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7 And Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by who we cry, Abba, Father. And what did Jesus say to us? What did he say to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed when he was about to go to the cross? I will not leave you as orphans. I don't mean to say that's easy. I have my own struggles with anxiety. But I have to come back to the Father. I have to come back to His presence. I have to remember where I live. I have to remember the access that I have. Stop and think about it. Right now, stop. Every single one of us in Christ can stop where we are and pray to a Heavenly Father who says, Come. I love you. Come sit with me. Come be in my presence. Who doesn't say, I don't have time for your stuff. What are you worried about? Get it together. Isn't it a blessing that God doesn't say to that? Instead, he says, come. I love you. I need to hear that. Maybe you do too. Not only are we no longer enemies, we're no longer orphans, and we're no longer beggars if we're in Christ justified by faith. Look at the last part of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That word rejoice just isn't strong enough. It's really better translated exult or boast. It's to rejoice greatly, to be jubilant or triumph, triumphantly. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians 2.9, where it says, so that no man may boast. So you don't exult in yourself. You don't boast in yourself. What do you boast in? You boast in God. In sin, we fell short of the glory of God, but in redemption, he restores us to his glory, which gives us hope. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For many young people, this is from the New York Times several years ago, the biggest single stressor is that they never get to a point where they can say, I've done enough, now I can stop. And... Uh, Sunaya Luthar says there's always one more activity, one more AP class, one more thing to do in order to get into a top college. Kids have a sense that they're not measuring up. The pressure is relentless and getting worse. And again, 
they're not alone. We feel those pressures. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's to perform in a certain capacity as a parent, as a mother or a father. It takes many shapes and forms. But then we must remember he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, you've moved from a beggar to a worshiper. You've moved to one who can exult or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because you'll stand in it, you'll be in it. Remember blind Bartimaeus? Sitting by the road right about the time that Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem for the last time. And he's there and he's in the dirt. He's a beggar. And what does he say? Son of David, have mercy on me. And all the people are like, hey, pipe down, little guy. Pipe down, beggar. Mind your manners. Keep your place. So what does he do? He shouts even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He stops. And he's no longer blind Bartimaeus. He's just Bartimaeus. For he sees now, and what does he see? He sees the glory of his Savior. And he has a future that is far different. And you, you who are in Christ, I know you were. I know you're anxious about the future and uncertainty about what's to come, but you have a future in God, a hope that's not in your circumstances. It's in who Christ is, and that changes. You're not a beggar, you're a worshiper. I'll conclude with this. Scott Southward's mother, Lavone, became a fixture in Allah's new life. And one day she asked him if he missed his friends in Iraq and whether he'd like to visit them. And tears started to well up in his eyes. And Lavone said, well, honey, what's the matter? And he pleaded in response, oh, no, Grandma, no. Baba said that I can come to live with him forever. And now she had tears in her eyes and reassured him, oh, no, no. We would never take you back and leave you there forever. We want you to be Baba's boy forever. Baba means daddy. We have a daddy. We have a Baba. We have an Abba in heaven who's saying the same things to us here in this passage. By the justification of Christ that we receive by faith, We are no longer enemies, no longer orphans, no longer beggars. We are made sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you that what we cannot do on our own what we can never accomplish, what we can never achieve, what we can never earn, you give to us through Christ. And so we're changed, changed now and changed forever so that we have a Father in heaven who loves us with an everlasting, steadfast love 
Lord, you draw us near and you give us your welcome. And there's a feast and we rejoice. Lord, help us to see these realities even when we are afflicted, when we're uncertain, when we're anxious, when we have a hundred things running through our minds, when our circumstances change for the worse. Lord, keep these things before us if we are yours in faith and through faith. And Lord, I pray if someone's questioning what it means to know Christ this morning, I pray that you'd lead them to the one who changes us now and forever. Father, I pray this by your spirit, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.